Good morning. Kind of feels like we should be able to order a tomato pie or something, right? <laughs> to enjoy during the sermon. Maybe next year. We'll remember that, trip, Father Tripp. Let's remember that. That's right, yeah. If anybody has five tomato pies, maybe we could make it work, right? Our passage this morning, chapter 6 of John's Gospel, verses 1 to 15, is the beginning of a much larger story. We have before us the feeding of over 5,000 people. Scripture says 5,000 men, which would imply you've got many, many more people than that actually there. But it just begins with that, because we move on to Jesus walking on water, and then the bulk of chapter 6 is about this discourse on the bread of life. 72 verses make up this whole story, and we've got to have an idea of what is happening to understand the first 15. There's a recurring theme in John's Gospel that when Jesus gives a sign or or some significant statement, it is more than what meets the eye. So in chapter 2, he said to the Jewish leaders, I will rebuild the temple in three days. And their response, three days? It took 46 years to build this temple. In chapter 3 to Nicodemus, Jesus says, to be born again, or to have eternal life, you must be born again. And Nicodemus responds, born again? Am I to go back into my mother's womb? Or in chapter 4, right? The woman at the well, Jesus says, I can give you living water. And her response? You don't even have a bucket. And today, we read about Jesus miraculously giving the crowds bread. And their response, their expectation, you are the one who can keep our stomachs full. But as is typical with Jesus here in John's Gospel, this story of bread is more than meets the eye. Just as rebuilding the temple wasn't about bricks and mortar, just as being born again is not about re-entering your mother's womb, just like living water is not drawn from a well, the multiplying of fish and bread is not about satisfying stomachs. And this Jesus, this Jesus, It's not who the crowd is asking for. It's not who the crowd is expecting. There's more than meets the eye here. And if we're honest with ourselves, this Jesus that we meet in John's Gospel is not who we have asked for or expected either. Let's take a look this morning at John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. I hope you'll be able to follow along with me, um, either in your Bibles or on your Bible app on your phone. Um, uh, John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Let's explore more fully this story of the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we will encounter the Jesus that we did not ask for and the Jesus that we never expected. What is the setting? Well, Jesus has just had a pretty heated exchange with the Jewish leaders. He, God forbid, healed somebody on the Sabbath day. 
That sort of work was not acceptable to the Pharisees, and so they had this heated exchange, and then we see verse 1 here, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He left, he went around to the other side, and a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing to the sick. They saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now let there be no doubt, Jesus was healing the sick, he was performing these signs precisely for this reason that the whole world, that these crowds would expect and know that he is something different, that he is potentially the Messiah, the King. He wants them to know that and to think that. And yet these crowds do not fully understand what it means. And so when, they're, when we read that they're following Jesus because of the signs, it's kind of like a, a warning signal. They don't quite get it. They don't quite understand. They're not following Jesus around because of who he is. They're following him around because of what he can do for them. You see the difference? It's not who he is. It's what he can do for them. And to be sure, almost all of them, over 5,000 people, almost all of them will have deserted Jesus by the end of the chapter. Verse 66, after this, after his hard sayings about Jesus, after Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, you must eat my flesh to have part in me, many of his disciples, many of the crowd turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you, you have the words of eternal life. The crowd is whittled down from 5,000 to 12. But for right now, we've got about 5,000 or more, really, much more. And what happens? Well, first of all, there's a bit of a test, right? Verse 4. The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes, Jesus saw a large crowd coming towards him. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? Where are we going to buy the bread so that these people may eat? It could be an innocent enough question. Philip's a local boy. He's from around these parts. Philip, you're the expert. Where are we going to buy food for these people to eat? And at the same time, it's a pretty surprising question. I'm thinking if I'm Philip, I would say, first of all, why is that our responsibility? And secondly, 5,000 people, over 5,000 people? Let's take a moment to remember Philip. Do you all remember Philip? He met Jesus in chapter 1 of John's Gospel. We met Philip there. And, and Jesus walked by Philip, and he, he looked at him. He said, Philip, follow me. And Philip said, Okay. And he got up and he followed Jesus. And, and then Philip went to Nathanael. And he said, Nathanael, we have found the one written about in the law of Moses, written about in the prophets. We have found the one. Come and see. So this is indeed a test. Does Philip believe that Jesus is who Philip confessed him to be? 
Does Philip believe that he is the one written about by Moses and the law and the prophets? Philip, where will we get the food? And Philip has no answer. He has no answer. Verse 7. Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii, almost a year's salary, will not be enough bread for each of them to buy a little. It's not happening, Jesus. It can't happen. Well, you know the story well enough at this point. A little boy comes forward, only in the innocence of childhood would he be able to come forward and say, look, I've got these loaves and fish, thinking that perhaps maybe they could make a dent in the hunger of the crowd. And so Jesus asks the crowd to sit down, and he takes the bread, and he takes the fish, and he starts passing it out. And when all is said and done, when the crowd is full, there's still enough to put leftovers in the fridge. Twelve baskets full of leftovers. A miracle of the first order. Another sign of Jesus' glory. And guess what? The crowd They recognize that immediately. They see it. But to be clear, recognizing a miracle and understanding who Jesus is are two very different things. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign he had done, when they saw this miracle performed by Jesus, they said, This is indeed the prophet. If you've got an ESV Bible and maybe these other Bibles, you'll notice the prophet. The P is capitalized. This is the capital P prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The crowd sees two things about Jesus. One, They see, they perceive that he is the great prophet long foretold by Moses. Two, they perceive that he is the long-awaited king. Both of those statements are right, but they don't know what it means. Jesus is a prophet. Way back in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses is preaching to the Israelites on the plains of Moab. They're they're about to cross the Jordan River and enter the promised land, and, and Moses is not going with them. And so he's reminding them about God's law, about God's salvation from the Egyptians. He's reminding them of all that God has done and called them to be. And he says in chapter 18, verse 15 of Deuteronomy, he says to them, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. He will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among our brothers, and it is to him that you shall listen. I can't come with you, but God will raise someone up. And God does, right? He gives them Joshua, a bold and faithful leader, and and Joshua leads them into the promised land, and and they conquer and inhabit the, the land that God had promised to them so long ago through the, uh, through the um, patriarch Abraham. And still, the Scriptures say, they're reflecting on this, they're reflecting on this time in Joshua, 
And the Scriptures conclude, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Joshua was great. Samuel was great. Elijah, Elisha, they were great. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Daniel, they were great prophets. But they weren't like Moses. And here we have this great expectation that God is sending a prophet like Moses. And here is Jesus on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, and he's, he's giving them bread, right? Like Moses in the wilderness. He's the capital P, prophet like Moses. Or at least they thought he was. They were partially right. You see, Jesus is the prophet like Moses, but he's so much more. He's a truer and greater prophet than even Moses was. If you skipped ahead to verses 32 and 33 of chapter 6, you would read this. Jesus said to the crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, it actually was not Moses who gave you bread in the wilderness. Moses didn't make that manna. Moses didn't hand it out. It was God. Yahweh. He gave you the bread. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And then Jesus has got them thinking. I gave you bread. I turned those five loaves of bread into enough to fill your bellies with leftovers. That was me. And we'll go on to say, not only did I give you bread, but I am the bread. I'm the bread of life, and unless you partake in me, unless you eat my bread, unless you eat my flesh, you will have no life in you. Yes, he's a prophet like Moses, and so much more. The other perception they had about Jesus what he is, is, was that he is the king, right? Jesus perceived there in verse 15, he said that he figured they were about to take him by force and, and make him into a king. And so he retreated to the mountain. It's long been expected in, in Jesus' day that God's king would return to Israel. He would restore his people. He would overthrow the Romans. He would give the nation of Israel, the people of God, the land that was promised to them. They would be sovereign over their own territory. Now, to be sure, Jesus is the king. He says as much to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, right, in chapter 18 when he's arrested. Um, Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says, oh, you don't really even know. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm the king over you and over everything else. But Jesus did not want them to make him king. And if we read ahead again, we'll see precisely why. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You are seeking me you want me to be your king, and that's true, and that's good, but why? Why do you want me to be your king? Not because of who I am, not because I'm your Savior, your Messiah, not because I'm the precious Son of God. No, you want a full belly, and you know I can give it. They sought him because of the bread, because he could fill their stomachs, he could heal their sick, he could overthrow their oppressors. They wanted a king who could provide for their most coveted desires. 
They did not expect, they did not want, they did not even think they needed anything else. What are we to make of this passage? What are we to make of the testing of Philip, of these crowds and their unrecognition of Jesus for who he truly was? I'd like to suggest to you this morning that we find ourselves in very much the same place, the same place as Philip, the same place as the crowds. Many of us have professed faith in Christ, and still that faith is tested, right? You know what I'm talking about. Your faith is tested day in and day out. The question for us is the question for Philip, is Jesus really who we claim him to be. It's easy to say, oh, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. Do you really believe that? Is he really the Lord that can feed 5,000, over 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? Is he really the Messiah who turned water into wine, the Messiah who commanded to Lazarus, come out? Is he really the Savior who died on a cross? Is he really the King who was raised from the dead? This is a challenging test for us. In the midst of trials, persecution, oppression, I know you. I know what you're struggling with. I know what you're going through. And I know you would like nothing more than for Jesus to step in and take that away from you. But is it enough that he is the bread of life? Court cases, sickness, financial loss, family mourning. Can we believe in the midst of all of that that Jesus is who he says he is? That Jesus is who we claim him to be. Others of us, perhaps the same ones like me who, who, who are being tested, are also tempted to seek Jesus out because of what he does, not because of who he is. Like the crowds, we want full bellies, satisfied lives, blessing, abundance, prosperity, healing. And instead, When Jesus offers us himself, the bread of life, when abundance and blessing and healing, these are all good things and things we should pray for, but sometimes when abundance and blessing and healing, sometimes they don't come, and we don't get them. Are we going to leave Jesus because what he offers isn't what we think we need? Will his grace be sufficient for us. In either case, whether our faith is being tested or whether we're seeking Jesus because we think he can do something for us, we've got to remember he does not come to give us bread. He is the bread. That's the promise of the gospel. There in verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, if anyone eats of me, 
he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. My flesh nailed to a bloody cross that your sins might be taken away, that you might be forgiven. Jesus Christ crucified, that we might be crucified with him. Jesus Christ raised from the dead that we might know life in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the bread. Jesus gave his life for the world. Not for our prosperity, not for our desires, but for our souls, for our lives. And in the midst of life, in the midst of challenges, that is a hard saying. It was hard for the crowd. All of them, all of them except for 12 deserted Jesus. And it's hard for us today, and yet it is true, unless we eat of the living bread of Christ, we have no life in us. So the saying is hard. The test is challenging. Jesus is unexpected. And still he looks at us. He looks at us even today. And he asks us, even today, do you want to go away as well? Have you had enough? Is this Jesus not for you? It's my prayer that we would respond like Simon Peter. To whom shall we go? It is Christ who has the words of eternal life. Let us pray.